0: God bless you today. It's always a joy to have you here. And, you know, sometimes
1: your you thousand dollars your cannot life. reproduce until it enters so into a covenant. With the Baptist soul. Church will pick it at their funeral. We will remind the living that you can still repent and obey.
2: Well,
0: Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where biblical Christianity meets modern American evangelical Christianity face to face. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. We praise the true and living God for allowing us to be part of this, his ministry. May he be with you and us tonight as we pursue the truth. We will uh, certainly make mistakes. I will uh, say things that are not correct. So take out your Bible and check the things we talk about. See what you think. We'll go from there. A quick reminder to all you folks out there, Heart of the Matter Mormonism, where where we talked about Mormonism, every show for seven years is available to be seen. Direct TV, channel 378 on the NRB network. Uh, That's 10 p.m. Mountain Time. You can also then watch Heart of the Matter Evangelical Christianity right now uh, through a couple ways, live streaming video, which some of you are doing, or by going to www.hotm.tv and uh, going to streaming. We are uploading the shows. So if you're watching, tell other people the shows are being archived. It just takes a lot of time. Uh, We received this email from a brother in Australia this week. My name's Hayden, I'm from Melbourne, Australia. And I used to watch Heart of the Matter. I decided recently to look you up again and found some footage of you preaching at campus. That's the church that uh, we do here in Salt Lake City. He said, I like how uh, the campus is set up on a biblical foundation of what church should be. I go to the AOG church with my girlfriend on Sundays. I can't stand the trends, the, uh, the worship, the charismatic preacher who loves attention. I've watched all your clips from campus on the website, but there's only three. I was wondering, could you put more up? I'd appreciate it. Uh, if you could keep us up on what you're teaching. Well, we have about 110 or more hour-long verse-by-verse teachings through the book of Matthew and through the book of Romans, Uh, but here's the deal. We are a very small ministry with huge technical uh, obstacles that we face every week, every day. Getting those programs prepared because they were done in an apple, they were done in a certain format, Getting them all ready has taken a lot of time and we have a lot of them, but we are working to get them up there. Pray for us as we struggle with this difficulty, which we've had since we've begun. Small ministry, big technical issues. Uh, Thankfully, God has put some great people in our lives to handle those things. And, uh, you know, he puts people in our lives to handle everything. If if he does that in your life, if you're a believer, look for the times when he puts people in your lives to suddenly do things you couldn't do for yourself. Uh, We've had uh, Seth uh, show up out of nowhere and he's handling stuff for us technically. We've had Merle pop in, he didn't do anything with TV before, he and Kathy Maggie. We have people answering phones who have never done phone before. We have guys behind cameras doing camera work that's never done before. I mean, we have a guy who came and built up the studio just by suddenly mentioning off the cuff, you know, I can do that. And uh, Jed, uh, amazing gifts from God, and he is doing that now. all of your lives if you let him. So that's how things come about. Uh, pray for us as we try to work on this philosophy of doing church this way. A Christian friend writes in, thank you for your show. It's convinced me never to become LDS after visiting a seminary. I decided it's what you say is true. I've been a Christian my whole life. I have sincerely asked Jesus for salvation many times. Give me salvation, give me salvation, but I've never had assurance I've put up with not being sure and just kept having faith and continued to go to church and do what I'm supposed to, but now I'm tired of it. And she says, pastors say that it must be something I'm doing wrong and that I'd better tithe and that I better get working to prove my salvation, to get my salvation, let me know what your opinion is from Ray, R-A-E. First of all, Ray, maybe you're getting ready to get that assurance that you've been looking for. When you write the line, now I'm tired of it, maybe that's where God wants to get you. Where before you have been, you know, maybe you've been trying to get it and earn it to have this assurance, and maybe God's waiting for you to say, I give up. Because then when he steps in, you know it's him. And rather than doubting and thinking that you conjured these things up. That seems to be when he shows up, in my opinion. But listen, we're commanded as Christians to walk by faith. Uh, Faith is so important to the Christian walk that God says in Hebrews, it is impossible to please him without faith. That is how important faith is. So, faith is established in facts and in evidence this is a theme that's going to come about a little bit tonight it's not established in fantasy or in myth so for this reason god came down to earth and he took upon himself a body ray do you believe that that god came down and took upon himself a body that he suffered for the sins of the world that he lived a perfect life that he died laid in the tomb three days was raised to new life do you believe those things Uh, in your heart, Ray, and have you confessed them with your mouth? Have you confessed these things about Jesus being Lord? If you do, scripture says, if you believe in your heart, confess with them, you will be saved, okay? So you have that assurance. That's a promise God gives in scripture. And you have that assurance. Do you believe it? if you believe it now you walk you notice that scripture doesn't say you'll have a miraculous feeling that you have been saved it doesn't say you're going to have this great metaphysical experience though some people do it doesn't say you're going to know the date and time though some people do everybody's salvation experience is different because we're all different and god works with us as individuals and so if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth you will be saved This means, long story short, you can walk with the expectation, the hope that this is true. That doesn't mean, oh, I hope it's true. It means I expect it to be true, okay? And uh, this pleases God. In the meanwhile, uh, you have done what scripture says to do for salvation. Now walk like you have been, but really trust that. He will evidence the fact that he has changed your heart. He promises this in scripture. Let me bring one up in 1 John, John the Beloved wrote uh, in 1 John 5, 13, it says, these things I, John, have written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. So John the Beloved says, hey, I have written these things so that people can believe on the Son of God and so that you can know you have eternal life. Do you know you have it? Uh, If not, give yourself over, trust in him, and you will. When a person comes to faith, they can know they have eternal life, as John said. In the LDS Church, which we've talked about so much here on the show, uh, is there ever a time when the liberty and grace and freedom of knowing you are saved is ever offered to a Latter-day Saint. Interestingly enough, there is a time, sort of. There's always a caveat here. Most people familiar with Mormonism know they enter into temples to do sacred ordinances. What a lot of people don't know, even a lot of active LDS people, is that there is a certain ordinance that hand-selected people are called in to receive, which is called a calling and election made sure or the, the second anointing. And if you are elected to receive this special right, the LDS teach that the person who receives its salvation is assured. You can do any kind of sin if you receive this special anointing in the temple, except blasphemy against the Holy Ghost for which there is no forgiveness. So what it is, it it, it used to be taught that if you had your calling election made sure as a Mormon, you would go to the LDS temple and you would meet Jesus. Jesus himself would show up to you and he would say, you are saved. And, And that's of course myth. Uh, really what happens is they do some blessings, they do some rituals, they wash your feet, I think, and they cleanse you from all the blood and sin of this generation, those are actually the words they use, and you walk out with this calling election sure, assured that no matter what sin you commit, you will be saved. Now, what, what, why are people called to do that? Because they have proven themselves in the Mormon church that they aren't going to commit those types of sin. They have merited receiving this special ordinance of salvation, and that's why some people are handpicked to receive it. It's interesting in Christianity, it's only when people realize there's nothing they can do to be saved, that Jesus comes in, saves you, and you walk around with this internal assurance that John speaks about, that you can know you have eternal life. So for the Mormons, again, it goes back to the church telling you, you have eternal life. Uh, Now you are assured of that. Nothing you can do except blasphemy against the Holy Ghost because you've proven yourself worthy. But with Christianity, it's when people say, I know I can't do it, Lord save me. And he gives you that internal uh, assurance himself. What a blessing that is. With that, let's have a word of prayer. Father God, we need you and love you. We seek truth. No matter how difficult it is to understand, no matter how difficult it is to swallow, we wanna walk in truth. Because Lord, we worship you in spirit and in truth, not just spirit, not just truth, but the combined, Lord, that's how we truly worship you. That's how you want us to worship you. And so we seek to worship you, Lord, as believers. Help us to know your truth as we talk tonight. Bless the callers, if there are any. Bless the audience, wherever they are, those who help, volunteers, people who have given so much. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're gonna wrap up our examination of prosperity teachings tonight. And what we're gonna do is go through the passages that the prosperity teachers primarily use. They use a lot of different ones, but I'm gonna give you some of the key ones and we're gonna talk about how what they say about those passages are really not contextually applied. Uh, The passages are, we'll give you a list, Malachi 3.10, Matthew 25, 11 through 30, John 10.10, Philippians 4.19, Ephesians 1.7, Mark 11.23, 22 through 23, and 3 John 1:2. These are big ones in the prosperity, health and wealth, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, whatever you wanna call it, movement that is going on uh, in Christianity today. Matthew 3:10. it's a biggie uh, with the health and wealth people. It's especially big with the LDS. We've talked about there being parallels between the two. Uh, and this is what it says through the prophet Malachi to the children of Israel, bring you all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. So they go back, the health and wealth people, the LDS too, go back to the Old Testament, last book of it, And they quote from this and they say, bring their tithes because God says he'll pour out a blessing uh, from the windows of heaven. There's not room enough to receive the blessings he'll give. To deal with the passages properly, it'd take take a couple hours. But uh, first, let's just say, this was to the children of Israel who were under a a different covenant. I know you've all heard this from me before. And uh, it was uh, obey these laws you will receive these blessings. Believers are not under such law. There is no such law for us that way. Uh, Secondly, there's this tacit understanding applied here, which is applied to all directives God gives to the children of Israel, that they are to walk in all of his statutes. They are to walk in all the commands he gives, not in just specific ones for specific blessings. The Jews say there's 613 commandments. So in other words, Malachi 310 does not stand alone as a little trick thing that you can do to open up the windows of heaven. It's not like you can be an idol worshiper and pay tithes and the windows of heaven will fall upon you. The law comes to us as a whole. That's why James says, hey, if you break one of it, you're guilty of all of it. So you can't go and take one element of the law, pay tithing, which really isn't even of the law, and. Uh, and it is, but it isn't. And you can't go and say, I'm gonna pay my tithing, and even though I'm disobedient to everything else, the windows of heaven will pour out upon me. That is kind of what the health and wealth people will infer, that here is the law, the blessing that God has given, if you do this, this will happen. That's not true, because it's always understood you have to be trying to follow, at least trying to follow all of his commandments. Finally, tithing is not part of the new covenant, we're gonna talk about that at the end of tonight's um, uh, monologue. Prosperity teachers also appeal to the parable of the talents, which is found in Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Not gonna read it. Long story short, this parable is not about riches, even though talent is a a modicum of money, Uh, and it's not about your ability to juggle that kind of talent either, but it kind of is. It's not about a good return on investment. It's not about capitalism in essence. It's not a fiscal uh, teaching here. Uh, Jesus taught in parables. This is a parable. And the key is when Jesus says in this, the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is as. Okay, that's how you know that what parables are doing. He likens a, they were an agrarian, agrestic community, they understood animals, they understood money, they understood the days, the comings and goings of life, and he would teach them so those who could understand would, those who wouldn't, wouldn't. And so he would say, the kingdom of heaven is as, and then he would give a teaching. Well, the health and wealth guys, they take this thing literally. And they talk about the talents, which are money, value of money, and how one was given uh, one, one was given five, one was given 10 or whatever it was, and how they went and and two of those guys multiplied, got a good return on their investment, and the Lord was pleased with them. They will use this in terms of money. But uh, in this parable, that's not what it is about at all. Uh, It is about... Uh, using whatever the Lord has given you and then to his glory and benefit for the kingdom. So if you have been given the ability to teach, do you hide that ability? You've been given the ability to sing. Do you hide it or do you multiply it for the glory of God? That is what the whole context is to use it in terms of money is uh is horrible of course there's john 10, 10 where jesus says it's a big one i am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly uh and so they would say see god wants you to have abundance abundance in your life they i'm oh, sorry about the bad hindu uh uh kind of Uh, whatever it was, but in fleshly terms, it's really easy to believe when Jesus said, I came to give you life and to give you life more abundantly, to think of it in terms of luxury and opulence and wealth. Flesh would love to hear Jesus tell us that, but what did Jesus promote in his life? How did he live? What was his whole deal about? Was it about those things? Uh, When he talked about bread, Yes, he fed the masses bread, but did he focus on bread or the bread of life? Did he focus on water or living water? Did he focus on Fiji water or or bottled water or did he focus on living water and the stuff that will flow out of those who believe? Did he focus on this world or did he focus on the world to come? So when you read passages like that, you have to take them into uh, account when he says, I came to give life and to give it more abundantly. See, we were all born dead in sin. And so when he gives life, he gives only. He's the only one who gives true life. When you really start living is when you come to know who Jesus is. I would take my former life as a stockbroker, uh, living in Park City, 6,000 square foot house on a hill. I would take that life, throw it away, a thousand times over, a million times over, to have the experience with Jesus that he's given me. That's the abundant life he's talking about. He is not talking about a life of luxury and which the name it and claim it guys try to uh, give it application for. Three more, Philippians 4.19 says, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Jesus Christ. This one's laughable. Just because it says riches in glory, uh, it says riches, they think "Hmm, he will give all in riches. Probably stop there, I don't watch him. But look what it really says, the the, the verse interprets itself. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Jesus Christ. You see, it is in the glory that he has given through his son for the future, it is not his riches in material wealth his riches in luxury, his riches in all those things. Ephesians 1, 7 talks about the riches of God's grace. Um, Colossians talks about the riches of his full assurance. The earlier emailer asked about not having the assurance. When you possess that, you have the riches of his assurance and that is life more abundantly. And Romans talks about the riches of his liberality. That is such a beautiful thing to know that you are with a God who is rich in his liberality toward you as a person. That if you happen to stumble or fall, his liberality is there. If you decide to drink Diet Coke or have a beer, his liberality is there. It's not about law, it's about your heart and spirit, all those things. When Paul says his riches and glory by Jesus Christ, he's not talking about money and prosperity. Mark 11, 23, a good friend of mine, he kind of dabbles in these things. He gave me these passages as a proof text that we have the power to do miracles, and this is part of the name it and claim it uh, claim, that we uh, believers should be doing these types of miracles, all right? Here's the context of the passages. The day before we read these passages, Jesus is traveling with the 12. There was a fig tree that on the outside was full of leaves and looked really beautiful. But when he got to it to get the fruit of the fig, there was nothing there. He cursed it. So they come upon it the next day and this is what Jesus says. And Jesus answering said unto them, or Jesus just speaking said, have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he said shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he says. Okay, Peter said to Jesus, listen, look at the tree. Yesterday you cursed it, today it's down. And Jesus says, listen, have faith, whatever you say, If you tell this tree, you tell this mountain, go into the sea, whatever you say, you will have, all right? Jesus says similar things to the 12 in other places as he prepared them to be witnesses of his resurrection and when they were gonna go about and establish his church. 12 special men called to do this. They spent three years being trained by him. Referring to this same situation in other places, Jesus also talks about their ability to tell a mountain to move from one place to another, or for the mountain to go into the sea, and to, or to pluck up the tree in question and to plant it in the sea. Couple of things. First, in Hebrew, exaggerations are as numerous as the sands of the sea. There's a little, okay. Uh, the, they will say the whole world when they mean the local area and the people in it. it, it we can find it all through scripture. They'll say the whole world is following him. What they mean are the people right there. They they exaggerate in their speech and writings. So to move a mountain is a Hebraism for performing a difficult task, all right? Now, people who are zealously minded will walk about today, since Christ ascended, walk about and say, we can move a mountain. You can move that mountain. And that is not the context, that is not how it should be understood relative to how the Hebrews taught and what Jesus was saying. Can a person who hasn't a faith move a mountain? Well, God did. So, certainly, but I, I, that's not the context. Okay. Secondly, how was Jesus able to say this to these 12 guys that so, whatever you ask, if you say to a mountain, move and go into the sea, it will happen. How was he able to safely say this? to 12 men, Peter especially, who was doing all kinds of crazy things at this time, and who even denied who Christ was. They were weak men. How was Christ able to say, you know, if you believe whatever you ask, you're going to have it? This is how. The Lord knew that the Holy Spirit was coming. He told them to wait for it before they acted that the Holy Spirit would fall and that Holy Spirit would be a guide to them as much as Jesus was a guide to them. And under the Holy Spirit, they would never say mountain, move to the sea. They would only do those things that were gonna be beneficial to the building up of the church that they were called to establish. So they were healing and they were doing these difficult things and Jesus training them said, listen, be of faith. What you say and what you do will happen. When we go and we read the New Testament, especially Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the account of the apostles being trained, and we read words of Jesus to the disciples, it is as wrong to say that applies to us as it would be to read Moses parting the Red Sea and for us to say we should be parting the seas today. It, you have to take the Bible in context and what the purpose of the passages are before you just go and cite them, apply them to yourselves and your walk. This was not the context. The, the bigger context for us in the in this Bible is Paul's epistles. That is more to Gentile believers than the things Jesus said in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to His twelve that He was training. Okay. Uh, then third. Never take a single passage and make a a giant presentation of it. You gotta take the single passage, the single story, the single chapter, the single book, the single covenant, the single Bible. You gotta take all of that before you can make a a, a reasonable decision of what a passage is saying. So um, let's listen to the words Jesus says again. Jesus answered, said unto them, have faith in God, verily I say unto you, He didn't say, verily I say to all men. He didn't say, verily I teach all men that they should. He says, verily I say unto you, and he's preparing them to go, and if you do this, you do this. And then in verse 24, he says, therefore, I say unto you, whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you will receive them, and you shall have them. He doesn't say, therefore I say unto all men whatsoever things they desire, when they pray, believe on those things and they will have every single thing even if it means moving a mountain. That's why context is important. Uh, All right, and then um, listen, I believe the spiritual gifts of the Bible. I believe there are healings. I believe there are these things, miracles that go on, but just we can't use these out of context. Gotta take him and stride. Finally, prosperity teachers use 3 John 1, 2. It sort of serves as like the, the, the grand passage above all things because it says, beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. So we got prosper used twice in there. We have health used there. We have a, an apostle writing saying it is my, uh, I wish above all things, he says here. And so you would think, okay, well that pretty much seals the deal. The prosperity teachers are right. Uh, I believe that it was God's idea for all people to have health and wealth, hence the garden. Uh, But then we had a fall And so because Satan took the title deed over of this world and he governs it by his dark powers and God is there as a backup for those who need and want him, I believe that God's desire for health and prosperity is put in a different place to a future kingdom, waiting for those who make it through this fallen world by faith in his son. So it's not that God wants people to be sick and wants people to not be prosperous, of course not. He gave a beautiful garden where no one even had to work. And there was no disease. So when you say God wants people to be prosperous and healthy, absolutely, God is a good God. But in this fallen world, he will use illness and he will use poverty and he will use those things in order to help reach people, to bring them to his son and help them learn to walk by faith. In the garden, there was no faith. Okay? So those who use 3 John 2 to support prosperity teaching are committing two crucial errors. First, contextually, it's off, and second, it's grammatical. Let me explain that. Contextually speaking, 3 John is like how we today write the beginning of our letters. We would say, hey, I hope all is well with you. Hope grandpa's feeling better. Is he up and running about? okay, let me tell you about what's going on in my life, all right, or this is what I wanna talk to you about. The salutation in these letters were written at the end. That is why it's 3 John where he says this, and 3 John is a salutation. John is writing to the people and he's saying, listen, okay, I've given you the instructions of what, as an apostle, let me now give you the salutation. And uh, so he says, I hope that above all these things that we've talked about here, that you are healthy and prosperous. We want that for people. I mean, what do you you want? Wait, I hope you're sick and poor. No, it's a salutation. I hope you're healthy and prosperous and that you move about. That's the context of what was written there. It's not doctrine. It's a salutation given in scripture, okay? And then there is the word prosperity. Here is the grammatical problem. The term is, is from the Greek, it's eoduo, And it doesn't mean prosper in the sense of getting wealthy. It means prosper in the sense of have a good, well-directed journey. Have a prosperous journey meant have a journey that's not gonna go off course, fall among robbers, fall among lions, have a nice directed journey. I hope it's prosperous for you. That's the true meaning of the word. Check it out, don't trust me. And so again, the prosperity teachers have twisted that scripture in the English which is easy to do, and have applied it to themselves. Before we open up the phone lines, I wanna talk once again about the term tithe. How much time do we have, we're at 30 now. Give me really quickly if I can get through this. Really important. I know we've covered this before, excuse the redundancy. Our ministry has lost supporters over this point, but if we're gonna talk about prosperity teaching, I've gotta talk about that word tithe, tithing, Uh, tithes, whatever it is. Uh, I'm gonna give you five points as to why tithe is not a New Testament Christian term. Pastors use this term. Uh, They shouldn't, it's wrong. For them to use the word tithe is akin to them to use the word this is the Sabbath day. It's akin to them saying we should be offering a sacrifice. It's akin to anything that a pastor certainly would say is behind us fulfilled in Christ. Uh, Tithes fulfilled in Christ, why? because one it's a numerical it's a number numbers are are legal they are law if you say tithe you're saying 10 you're saying 10%. Christians will say or who support the tithe will say that's a minimum that Christians should give. That's a lie. It's a manipulative lie for pastors who are too fearful of going broke And not having people step up and put money in the coffers. So they say, come forward and bring your tithes and offerings. It is reverting back to the old covenant, and they do it by using a bunch of justifications which are not sound. All right? So you have to, you'd say, well, that's really not that big of a deal. It really is a big deal because if someone is really paying tithe, they are paying 10%, and pastors know it. If they're not, when you have a 10%, if you're paying under that, you feel guilty, you feel condemned, and love has a difficult time existing in the presence of law. When you say 10% and I'm giving eight, I feel bad. When you say 10% and he's giving 12, he feels superior. And so it serves, that word serves as as a barometer for a person's failure or a person's success. So it should be uh, eliminated from churches uh, uh, because of that one, that one principle plus another, another of other things. So principle number one, making a percentage of a Christian's income part of mandatory minimal giving flies completely in the face of the liberty all people have in Christ. Do we have a day of worship? No, we do not. First day of the week, you can call it that, but you can make that day Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It really should be every day. Do you have certain rites and ceremonies for cleansing yourself? No, you don't. Do you have a minimum that you should be giving in the terms of a tithe? No. Do you have offerings? Sure. Do you have uh, uh, love offerings, whatever they call those things, or however you wanna put it? Sure. You have the free will offering of that, because everything's free will. Why? Because as a believer with the Holy Spirit within you, you will be accountable before your God. He is not gonna say, did you pay 10%. He's gonna say, did you give from your heart? And that doesn't always necessarily mean uh, money. You might not have any money. If you're a widow, forget it. So, and widows are exempt from this. The widow's might, I'm just gonna ramp here and we'll wrap it up. The widow's might is Jesus teaching his disciples how the Pharisees preyed upon widows' houses. He had just taught them that And then they go to the temple and Jesus stands there and watch a widow and she puts all she has in there. Why would a widow put all she has into that? Uh, Because she was under the religious rule that she was supposed to. But Deuteronomy says the widows are to be taken care of and and they should be uh, supplied for, not giving. And so Jesus uses the teaching of the widow's might, not as a way to say all widows should be doing this, but to say this is is an example of what I just told you. They make mincemeat out of people, and that's what they're doing with that. Nobody who's on a fixed income, who has a limited income, who can't give, should be under the compulsion that they should be giving. And if they can't give money, it doesn't mean that they have to go and give time or darn socks or scrub floors. That is not the liberty found in Christ. Now here's the other side to it. You take that liberty and if you use it for licentiousness, to be self-centered, to be lazy, to be greedy, to be piggish, to be me first, you will stand before God and you will make an account of that life you lived. That is the kind of existential uh, responsibility every believer has when the Holy Spirit moves in. You are in charge, but not from a book. And that's why we fight tooth and nail on this principle of tithing because it's just not so. Number two, tithing in terms of being a demand upon believers today is nowhere mentioned in the New Testament. It's not there. There are... uh, Several references to tithing. I'll tell you, tithe, tithing, tithe is found seven times in what we would consider the New Testament. I'll add in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John for that. And, and, and uh, two of those references, Matthew and Luke, is Jesus telling the scribes and Pharisees that they're hypocrites in the way they do their tithes, remember, and uh, the second reference is in Luke, and it was made by a Pharisee who stands up in the temple boastful, and he says, why, I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all I possess braggadociously, you see. And, and, and then the other references to tithes are all found in Hebrews chapter seven, and they are pointing out about the Levitical priesthood being the recipients of the tithe. That is the context of the term word tithe in the New Testament entirely. You never have the word used. Certainly Peter or Paul would have said, uh, uh, pay your tithes, bring the tithes, They don't do it. Paul and Peter constantly quote from the Old Testament. Surely they would have quoted from Malachi 3.10 and said, bring your tithes into the storehouse. But that is not the covenant we are under. Jews, blessings from prosperity because of obedience. Christians, suffering and misery because of obedience. Don't wanna hear that, do you? That's the case. And so these guys are lying when they say the tithes. The third rule I have up there, let's bring it up. The fact that Aaron paid tithes to Melchizedek cannot mean that Christian ought to do the same. Uh, You can go to our archives, watch Tithe 2010 under the Mormon shows and see the whole thing about Melchizedek. It's just not true. The next one, uh, quickly, the fact that Jacob before the law paid a 10th Uh, in in no way means the Lord, uh, Christians should pay a 10th. Jacob was negotiating with God. He said, if God, you do this and this and this and this, I'll pay a 10th. He was called the supplanter. There's a reason that's in there. And then finally, uh, number five, the fact that the widow paid her might as found in the gospels cannot somehow mean that Christians must also pay tithes. We had a lot to cover on that, but it's all found in the earlier archive shows under Mormonism, uh, 2010 under the topic of tithing. Listen, when you understand what God wants us to do, there are several things you'll notice. Let's open up the phone lines. Uh, 801-590-8413, 801-590-8413, Let me tell you what those things are, okay? There are no feelings of guilt about the amount you give, okay? The Holy Spirit is guiding you. If you feel guilty for not doing something the Holy Spirit is telling you to do, it should be because of that reason and not because there's an established figure placed upon your back. That's your relationship with God directly, made uh, available by Christ's shed blood. Temple veil vale rent, you're responsible. You know, we don't like to hear it, but you are responsible, okay? Uh, no feelings of guilt about the amount you're not able to give. If you cannot give money, you step up with your head held high in a church and you participate in every single thing that goes on there as an equal member, money or not. And if you give money, you go in and you keep your head held low and you keep it at, or, or at the same level, because it doesn't matter. That is not how it works anymore. No feelings of being less special to God because of the amount you have given. No feelings of being more special to God because of the amount given. And no feeling the need to make up for not giving in one area by physically doing something else. He has gifted you with certain things. Don't try to become what everybody else is. You have that responsibility in your relationship with God to know how he works with you, what what part of the body you fit. You might be an appendix, you might be a brain, you might be a stem cell, I don't know what that is, but you're you're gonna be something in that body. You figure out what it is and you return to God what he has given you and we'll go from there. All right, we're gonna open up the phone lines. We have Fab, actually I have Fab's email from New England. Fab, you are... my guitar fab uh, fab you're on the air Hi, John. Can you hear me? i can <laughs> all
2: right hey i just want to tell you i love you brother okay
0: I you have freed me on so many levels i'm an
2: ex-mormon my family is still mormon i was watching you when you were dealing with mormons and now you're on this first which is excellent because when i went from mormonism to the, the christian church i i remember saying to my elders i feel like i'm in a, in a pool of sharks okay because I, I could see the funny fire i could see the deception i could see that things were off you know yeah. so you know i've just been a, a christian uh for three and a half years and and it, recently i've really been contending for the faith once and for all giving them to the saints just like you do and I, I just want to thank you, man. And I am so grateful that you are now doing this in the churches. I can't even tell you how important this is, but I, I know you know it. Um, I do have. Well, a- I really appreciate it, Fab.
0: First question: Is that your real name?
2: Uh, Fab Fisher is my online name. It's the name that I use.
0: That's fine then. That's fine. I don't
2: give my real name, I, hey. on the internet or TV
0: fab what i'm gonna do once you hang up really appreciate the call is i'm gonna read part of your email to the audience and then respond is that okay
2: oh yeah i didn't know if you got it dude okay that's cool
0: i got it sister
2: god bless you bro
0: god bless you talk to you later
2: all right bye thanks bye-bye
0: uh she says among other things i now find myself contending for the faith once and for all given unto the saints that's she's quoting scripture which is great with so-called christian churches and their Ishtar bunnies that lay eggs, Santa Claus, December 25th birthplace of a pagan ruler, Halloween prosperity gospel, 501c corporate status. I love this lady. I mean, this, I, I mean, this is just tremendous. I recently listened to episode five where you touched on these things. I'm so delighted. We'll continue, la, la. I do have a question. You stated there is freedom in Christ and that there is nothing wrong with celebrating these pagan traditions as long as you understand the truth about them. She's paraphrasing. I need help understanding how this can be understood that God the Father said in Deuteronomy 12, four, and gives passages that he does not want us to worship him as the heathen pagans worldly worship their gods. I believe and fear God, Sean. I don't even wanna participate in those silly false pagan worships. What do you say? Hey, if God has it on your heart, not to participate in those things, don't participate. That's the liberty. And you can, you can rejoice over the fact that you have been freed from that stuff, okay? That's the liberty that you have. Now, I have the liberty to eat Easter candy ad nauseum on Easter Sunday morning. It's my favorite part of the holiday, the pagan holiday. I don't, however, go and participate in it in terms of its application to Christianity because of the Ishtar and the Estros and all that stuff, okay? That's my liberty, to eat the Easter candy, okay? Now, if it stumbled you, if you came in, Fab, and you were in there and I had a big bowl of candy, I wouldn't eat it in front of you because you have let it known that you don't appreciate that However, I'm not gonna condemn you, you're not gonna condemn me. Now, if somebody wants to go and they're a believer and they wanna participate in those things, they have that right. Again, they have that responsibility to God directly. It's that vertical relationship. Here's why. Jesus, Old Testament, you cited all the Old Testament. God said, do not participate in that. Jesus wiped the slate clean, sin is gone. He paid for all of it, the sins of the world. Our faith is on him, we've been reborn, we are in him. So past, present, and future, all that stuff's gone, all right? And we have an expectation to walk by faith and to love. In love, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. So you don't need to walk about and fear that somebody else is falling You can criticize it and say, I really think it's a stupid thing for us to do, but you don't have to criticize people who participate. They have that liberty. They will be responsible as the Holy Spirit works on them. What that does is it allows the person who's wearing the new Easter dress who's a Christian, the guy who's eating the Easter candy who's a Christian, and the person who won't even look at those things as a Christian to all get along in his name and to reach out for others. And that's my response to you, my sister. We're gonna go to Rick, who's closer in Salt Lake City, and then we're gonna go to Charlene in Ketchikan, Alaska, I think that is. Rick, you're on Heart of the Matter. It's a little better. Bring Rick up. Rick? Oh, we need more Rick. I can now. Good. My wife, Carrie, and I have warmed this for about a year now.
1: And I, so I have a question. So I've been going to a Christian church. Okay. And a couple of weeks ago, I got the tithing.
0: And it really kind of bothered me. Yeah. Rick, there is absolutely none at all whatsoever. There are people who will try to extrapolate meaning from certain things and say, this means we have to do it. For instance, Paul did say, listen, uh, gather together your uh, goods on the first day of the week so when I come, it will be ready, he says, as the Lord prospers you. Some people will say, see, he was telling them, collect tithes, that's not what he said. He said, "If if you've been prospered, gather together the stuff so when I show up, I can just, he goes, don't do it while I'm there. He said, just get it all together, organize it, and I'll take it back to the saints at Jerusalem. So they'll use that. But let me tell you something. There's only one place it, that uh, scripture says anything about giving in the New Testament, really in terms of context, and it's in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Listen to the spirit of this, Rick. Each man, woman, child, whatever, should give, what he has decided in his heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful, hilarious giver. That is the New Testament directive. Any man or woman who's preaching tithe needs money to keep their stinking ivory tower alive, and they ought to let it crumble. It's better to sit in the dust and teach truth than to sit in the most elegant place and teach a falsehood. Jesus died, he suffered too much for this for us to preach falsehoods. So you're right in being offended by that. I would go to your pastor and say, explain to me the use, and if you need some backup, uh, send an email and I'll visit you. Since you're in Utah, I'll join you. And we'll have a little conversation with your pastor and his use of that word.
1: No, I appreciate that, because like I said, it did not feel right to me, and I understand that you should give. But when I felt like it was a sermon that there was an obligation to tithe and uh, applying an Old Testament principle using and even uh, using New new, uh, Testament scriptures, it it just did not wash
0: with me. You're, You're calling it right, my brother, especially coming out of Mormonism. That's why we stick on this stuff so strictly in this state because you've been abused by that term and it's happening again. Let me ask you one question before we go to the next caller, Rick. Uh, what's the overhead like at the church that you were visiting?
1: Say that one more time, Sean.
0: What's the overhead like at the church you're visiting?
1: Well, it's going to get larger because they're trying to build a building.
0: You hear more about tithing, brother. Yeah. Good luck, my brother. Good to talk to you.
1: Can I ask you one more quick thing?
0: Sure. Uh,
1: a couple weeks ago, we were talking about um, like faith healing. Yeah. Um, one of the problems that we have when we're talking to a lot of our Mormon family and friends is uh, people that say, I've been healed with the priesthood. Um, what, is, what would you your response to that when they're saying, using that as an example of uh, you know, the, the truth of the priesthood because they've been
0: healed by it? I'd give a couple responses. One, the priesthood does not do the healing. If it does, it's diabolical. Two, if God heals somebody who's been blessed uh, with this priesthood blessing, it is God who is doing the healing because he wants that person to have health, and it has nothing to do with its connection to the the rope jumping that the LDS are doing through their priesthood powers. Three, I would say, and I would always suggest, we know from scripture that very evil, dark things can be done in the spirit of light, and that uh, Satan can do many things. We know from Revelation that the Antichrist Will perform great miracles, healings, and uh, and people will say, "Wow, we're going to follow him." So we know there's counterfeits. We know that God can do the healings, but the priesthood, which is false, uh, it, it, you you can stand. I'm, you're going to have a hard time convincing the Mormons of this, but you can stand assuredly because the priesthood is false, according to Hebrews, that they don't have a leg to stand on.
1: Very good. Are you going to be at uh, campus this week?
0: Yes, campus is on this week for you, local people. We hope. Praise God. Thanks, Rick. Thank you. God bless you, my brother. Okay, we're going to go to Charlene in Ketchikan. Is that Alaska? Ketchikan, Alaska. You're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi. Uh,
2: Hey, I've talked to you, I think, on the phone or emailed you before in the past. And um, I love what you've done with the Mormonism thing. And... um, um, and I'm really thankful that you're going into this right now because uh, I just recently left some uh, really deep, charismatic stuff, and uh, and I just want to, I don't know, I just want to thank you for what you're doing. I just, uh, I'm really enjoying what you've got so far, and I'm really looking forward to more of your uh, shows.
0: Thanks, Charlene.
2: I do have one question for you, though. Um, yes. When it comes to tithing, is it true that we that we have the blessings from the old Testament, because that's one of the things that I've been, I possibly falsely taught is that, um, is that we have the blessings from the um, old Testament and that those, those should carry through to us. Right?
0: No, you know, uh, it it would be true if we were following the law, Uh, but Paul says we are to die to the law and uh, we are buried with, uh, with Christ to the law. And we are dead to it. And, and the reason why, Charlene, that Paul gives us instruction is because the law produces an inferior form of relationship with God. And so that is why the blessings of being a Christian are all founded on what's to come. Because to follow him in faith is only going to amount to suffering in this world that runs by prosperity and wealth and the the things of this world. So while the Jews were under the covenant of law, to obey they would be blessed, to disobey they would be cursed, we are under the the covenant of faith. And and in that the, the, the scripture is replete, I could give you at least that many passages that talk about you will suffer and how, how Paul describes the suffering that he had for his allegiance to God. And it, include, it included nothing uh, material. It included having nothing material. Uh, Jesus said, the son of man, and Jesus has no place to lay his head. And he said, follow me. I mean, all of that stuff is intertwined in a contextual understanding of the New Testament. So where the blessings will partake, partake uh, you will partake of the blessings as the Jews did, will be in a different place. It will be in heaven and not here. So it's not that you won't have the blessings, but you're gonna get them in a place that is not of this world.
2: Gotcha. And then the other thing I have is I'm having a really hard time with uh, finding a church now because I've left the charismatic movement more or less. And I live in a very small town and the charismatic movement is kind of um, moving. It's like cancer. Here. Oops.
0: Oh, yeah, it's like cancer. <laughs> 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 hey, uh, when you say the charismatic movement, can you give us a, a, literally a two sentence description of what that included?
2: Oh my gosh, it's, it's so big. It's, I can't even give you a two sentence description of what that is. I mean, um, it's, the, it's the health and the wealth, it's the, uh, boy there's an echo on the phone so it's kind of distracting. Is it, t- is it, is
0: it, is it tongues, wild tongues throughout the church?
2: Oh yeah, tongues and and uh, healings and and I mean I was hooked in with Bill Johnson and Heidi Baker and um, and a few other groups. I've been on mission trips. I've been I've done some crazy stuff. And just recently, the Lord just really convicted me of it. And I've actually got a blog up. And I think I linked it to you, but I don't know if you looked into it or even if it got to you. But um, but I'm just trying to come out of it, and I'm trying to figure out how to go from here. And I'm even seeing it in my good old Baptist church, and it's—it's it's really hard for me to figure out what to do with that. And the pastor thinks that I'm probably crazy, but whatever.
0: Yeah, he thinks you're crazy. See, here's the deal, my sister. Um, we have gone. See, walking by faith is tough because you can't—you don't know what's coming. You have to rely when things look really bad. I mean, God says through Scripture. And I'm going to give some in the end here how he, he does it at the last time, he does it when it's done. When you've passed through the fire, to use a pagan uh, expression, when you've passed through that fire, he then shows his face. That increases our faith. Well, we have assimilated this new age thinking, which started back in like 1936, with the, uh, with the uh, what do they call that, the, not the prosperity, the, uh, the law of attraction. And it's all with energies. And it's all with, if you think these thoughts, you'll attract these because they're promoting an easier life. And the purveyors of it, they promote this, and they hope that it will then bring more money in for them. They look affluent, they look good, and so then other people see them, it's working with them, and it's like another pyramid scheme. But it's all based in faithlessness, not faith, faithlessness. Faithful Christians say, God, I trust you, for whatever the outcome is, I pray you'll heal my child. But if my child dies, Lord, I praise you. If my child lives, I praise you. That is walking by faith. It is not faith to say, God, you will do what I say here and, and, and command that that child be healed. And then when the child dies, to say you didn't have enough faith. It's a lie, it's manipulative, and it's a cancer to the church. And that is the reason that we are going against it amidst a amidst hundred of the things that we'll touch on this year. Hey, keep going, Charlene. Build your site as the Lord leads. He'll use it and uh, to help expose some of the stuff in, this, in these treacherous times of, of Laodicea. Yeah,
2: thank you. And I'm looking forward to the rest of your, your shows. I'm, I'm gonna totally...
0: Thanks for watching. Uh, bye. Bye-bye. Okay, let me give you a couple of passages just to see. Uh, when, when Jesus came and Lazarus uh, was sick, And both sisters came to Jesus when he returned. He heard about Lazarus being sick and he stayed away for three full days. It was two days, it says, but it was three full for him to get back. That means he's dead. He's been in there three days. He stinketh. And Jesus, and and he came back and they said, if you would have come, he would have been healed. And Jesus said, I did this, the glory of God will be seen. That is a faith-promoting experience. That's how God works. He doesn't work through the name it and claim it. He works through, put your trust and faith in him, pass through the trial. It is hard. Faith is, Walking by faith is one of the most difficult things I can imagine in life. And that includes physical pain. To trust in God with your future, finances with your future for health, with your future of your children, your marriage, your relationship to him. You, we are betting that we are walking by faith. We are betting that what he has told us is true. You, I mean, that, that is how much he places, uh, how much emphasis he places on faith. He hasn't given us, he's given us these assurances, but we still walk by faith. When these guys step in and they do this, okay, you can have it all now. And it is, it is a pernicious lie and it's destroying the church. A couple things on our website, I've gotta do this because we do believe these things are beneficial. We have a new book, it's called Shield of Faith. It, available at www.hotm.tv. This will make you wealthy. That's a joke, a total joke. Actually, it's a police officer's story uh, about what it's like to be a cop and be a believer. It is. Uh, it's, t- it's, it's a great book, a great book. In fact, I have a friend who said the first three chapters are the best chapters on what it means to I can't remember what he said, but he said the first three chapters are the best ever written, and he reads a lot of books. So it's Shield of Faith by Brandon Peterson, a police officer, especially written for police officers. We have I Was a Born Again Mormon. If you can't afford these, this book, call us and or email us. We'll send it to you for free. Uh, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity. This book, A to Z Doctrinal Comparison, 46 topics here laid out for you. You pick it hell, heaven, baptism, tithing, Sabbath day, and you can see what the Bible teaches versus what Mormonism teaches. And my favorite book of all, and that's If Then, if my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would fight. And it's a believer's refusal to join in modern Christian culture. It's a short little book. Again, uh, these things are here as tools for you. And uh, we wanna help you with them if you wanna get them. Um, Final thing, there are seven, I think seven, and I'm just gonna read them to you really quickly. The way you increase your faith, that's kind of been an overriding thing. You act. Jesus said to the guy with the lame hand, stretch out your hand. You first act. You step out into the darkness and you don't know what's gonna happen. We've done that throughout this ministry. Sometimes it fails. And then you have to have the faith, did I do what was wrong? But you act and you see how God blesses it or not. Uh, he will give uh, signs to you through nature. That increases faith. When you see a wonderful sunset, when you see a mountain range, when you see a beautiful beach, when you see a newborn baby, or you examine your navel, uh, whatever it is, you see amazing creation. And those, those mystical signs that he gives you increase faith. Uh, he uh, gives us proofs all through with all those miracles. He gives us witnesses. We know from Isaiah 43, 10, that it is witnesses that help increase the faith of others. That's one of the reasons we do this show, to witness to you, to help you increase that faith that is so important. Delay, we talked about that, that increases faith. When he holds back and he doesn't necessarily give you what you want, when you want it, or prophecy uh, gives increases faith. When something like the scripture says, listen, this is gonna happen, and it begins to happen. When all the scriptures in the Old Testament talk about Israel, 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 Jerusalem, 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 and we look at the world as it's been since 1947 and before, focused on that, that is a prophecy being fulfilled. That increases faith. A unity of the brethren, interestingly enough, in John 17, 21, Jesus says, as they see you united, they will. it will increase their faith. So when the believers are united in him, it increases the faith of those who say, I just don't see how you do it. What are they gonna be united in, prosperity? No, that, corporations are united in prosperity. They're gonna be united in their suffering. They're gonna be not united in their lowliness. They're gonna be united and love each other when everybody in there is not a mega bucks person or is not handsome or is not uh, all these things. We're united in the spirit that's within us no matter who we are. That makes other people say, wow, Those are Christians, and we increase our faith through the written word. John says twice, one in uh, 3rd John and one in the Gospel of John. He has written so that you may believe. So another way to increase that faith is open up this word, read it, see what God has to say to you. I cannot emphasize that enough. The Lord Jesus Christ is king. He came and he died for you. He saved all the entire world. Will you receive it? Go out, do what he has called you to do. Be who you were meant to be in the body of Christ. Nothing less, nothing more. And uh, we'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.